Hi there. You're listening to Great Minds Don't Think Alike on Sin Nation. You're with Amaret and Daniel. We will also be featuring an interview with Callum Thurham today, a young person on the autism spectrum, and that's about leadership. So today we're talking autism acceptance and leadership. You can like us on Facebook, hook www.facebook.com slash greatmindsonsin. And you can follow us on Twitter at greatmindsin. We, we also podcast all our shows plus special features like full interviews through our SIN webpage at www.sin.org.au slash show slash greatmindsdon'tthinkalike with hyphens in between. We are going to be speaking a little bit about autism acceptance. And what does that mean? Like, not many people, obviously, we know what acceptance is. But in regards to the autism community and how they are integrated into the wider community, there's a big disconnect about how we go about that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I can personally say for myself that, and I've said this previously, that neither of my schools, whether it be primary school or high school really knew how to how to deal with it i mean my high school knew how to deal with it more but my primary school was terrible in that regard however tafe has dealt with it relatively well i find so in education i think there's a long way to go with acceptance uh, but that's more how to deal with it as opposed to being accepted by the group but i found with myself in high school as as the years went by, I became more and more accepted. People just ex- came to accept me for for who I was, but that obviously it took it just took a while. Yeah, exactly. And I think that with school, especially in the primary years, um, as you're saying, they're not very good at that whole integration idea. And I think it's because so many f- schools focus on the whole. Oh, we need to integrate the learning more mm. than we need to. Um, integrate the person and have um, the you know school community accept that person and understand where they're coming from and their thought processes and that that is not necessarily the same as the other students and every student is different absolutely and I think that's also a fault in the education system that doesn't uh, schooling is for a whole it's not mm. for an individual and when you teach to the group it means that there's going to be people who are left behind and then those kids who are left behind um the rest of the class has a disconnect with that person because they're not up to the same uh, speed as everyone else and i think Mm. it's not just a thing with disability that happens to all different students you know and people who are um from uh you know impoverished backgrounds they're under underprivileged and that they have systematically um been sort of almost discriminated against in the fact that they haven't been able to have their learning developed in a way that accommodates their needs and their their understandings of um, fact-based work and you know especially English and and maths those are things that are heavily developed in those primary years Mm. and that focus on um, of the teaching more than the understanding is something that can really be harmful to someone who is disabled who then needs that extra leg up but also needs the rest of the group to understand what mm. that's about and it's not about the fact that, that person is necessarily different it's about the fact that they have a other way from a, a, another mm. way to approach things and to look at things and that all kids need to learn how to be accepting of that yeah uh, I, I said on a previous show actually now 
you'd think the way my my primary school dealt with it, on the surface it actually sounded like a good idea. Like they dealt with it by taking me by taking me out of the out of the main class and so I could be taught say maths one on one. Now that almost seemed ideal, but unfortunately the woman doing it, who I'm not going to name, had this idea that either you learn the right way or you learn the wrong way. There was no in between. And she didn't teach me any different levels of, of maths. So sometimes I would sit in on the on the main class tests and they'd be given algebra questions. And so I'd be hearing things like X times Y equals and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And because I had I hadn't I'd not learned anything like that, I just kept thinking X times Y equals nothing. That's the alphabet. It's, yeah, they're it's not like, numbers. Yeah, exactly. How so, does this Yes, I was far behind everyone else because of that method. They didn't teach me anything new all those years. They just taught me different ways of adding, dividing and subtracting, but they didn't teach me they just taught me different ways of how to do it, but they didn't teach me anything else. Yeah, exactly. Those those higher things, yeah, exactly, algebra and all that sort of stuff. That yeah, there's that natural progression where you go from your your basics to that other level and there's a big disconnect like especially even just between primary school and secondary there's a big disconnect between suddenly you're learning all this new stuff that you never even really worried about and that leaves any child who is slightly behind even further behind and I think as we generally mature we get used to accepting people in all their forms and we're like we get over ourselves mm. almost to the point that then we can understand other people and we start we stop thinking about ourselves the world doesn't re- revolve around us as much yes. um and that's the problem with primary school is that a child only thinks from their perspective they don't understand someone else's perspective necessarily unless of course that person is agreeing with them so when it comes to someone else who has a different thought process or who is coming from a different place to that person, they can't understand that and they don't know what to do with that information. Mm. Um, and that's why there are teachers there to help bridge that gap. And when your, you know, your teacher or your school is not then helping you do that, then there is the, it makes it harder for you to make friends and to... Uh, be part of that community and that almost society that is school. Mm. Oh, a- absolutely. And well, a- as for as for social acceptance in primary school, uh, in, because in primary school I lacked awareness. I was one of those I was one of those kids that would just go around randomly to other kids and tell them facts because uh, gathering information was what I was good at. And so I exploited it as much as I can, even though I wasn't aware that just going randomly over to people and telling them facts doesn't always come come across well. And so for a while, I what I was actually I was the butt of a lot of people's jokes. But at in late primary school, people actually just came to accept it. Uh, they I, they probably weren't genuine friends, but they did actually come come to accept accept me and. I, I did actually get relatively liked for being... I was considered likably eccentric, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And um, that's the thing with the, with the social acceptance is that we're moving away from this whole idea of you are separate and you are different and therefore you are educated differently, mm-hmm. you're looked at differently. And it becomes um, more of a community thing that acceptance isn't just about um, coming together and saying, yeah, you're cool. It's also about that 
the mindset changing in that group of, of people and instead of it being like, yeah, okay, they're different, whatever, it's becoming about bringing that person into your circle and having them be your friend and understand more so than it is just accepting that they are different to you. Mm. It's about that, yeah, sorry, I'm just repeating myself. but That's okay. Um, but coming to the, the understanding and knowing where that person is coming from and therefore you there's something that you two can relate to and mm. be a part of, a, a friendship rather mm. than just that disconnect of I get that you're different but... Mm. Well, you just mentioned being repetitive before. Well, that's that's another common Aspie trait. So that's another thing people co- need to come to accept. I, yeah, because I'll, I'll admit I got called out for being repetitive a lot in high school, not so much in primary school. Oh, I guess I'm, maybe it was behind my back, but people were more upfront about it in high school. So, but yeah, that, that's, that's, that's another thing that people should come to accept and should understand a little more often. Mm-hmm. I think part of the problem is that because the autism spectrum is so variable and very complicated, it, that does make people a, a little bit cynical about it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know... With our friends, we always take the good with the bad. Like, you know, we Mm. might have a really good friend that we love to chat to, but they're a bit of a gossip. Mm. And you're like, I wish they weren't like that. But that's the same with everyone. And I think the problem with um, the autistic community being integrated into that whole, Mm. it's there's always that idea that there's more bad than good. Mm-hmm. And if you don't understand that person, their thought process, where they're coming from, then you'll never be able to bridge that gap. And it's teaching we need to teach to the wider community that it's not just about um saying yeah okay we get who you are it's Mm. also about then learning from that and uh, a a deeper acceptance absolutely yep absolutely and i discovered like i actually thought i thought i had lots of friends when i when i was in high school and but i think I, since finishing, I've come to realise most of them were just acquaintances. That's the same, I mm. think, with everyone. You think mm. that you're going to be friends for years and then you realise that you only really had two mm. or three really close friends that you you'll yeah. actually see again. Mm. Or you think you've got countless, but then you realise the only real close ones you can actually count off with your fingers. Yeah, exactly. And those are the people that you're going to continue mm. to hang out with for you mm. know, a really long period of time and have that friend you know the rest of your life mm. hopefully yes you, you go back to a high school reunion say after a, even after a year I thought when, when I finished high school I was thinking I don't know how I can be separated from these people for so long I've been with them for six years but then I went back to a high school reunion and I thought okay I haven't been separated from them for a year I really have moved on yeah yes. yeah exactly yes yeah, so I don't relate to these people anymore <laughs> speaking to Callan Turnham um, who is the leader of Asperger's Victoria, um, the teens group, the teens group at Asperger's Victoria. So, tell me just a bit about your role um, with the teens group and what it involves. Um, I got into the teens group at Asperger's Victoria because, um, or a, I've always liked to, I always like to volunteer my time. Uh, I figured out very early in sort of my teenage development that I can't exactly work for myself. Um, Selfishness is not exactly a characteristic that I hold. Um, The main reason why I'm here to talk today is um, I'm here to tell all the people out there who are autistic and do want to be leaders that autism is not exactly holding you back. I've spent a good two-thirds of my life just training to be a leader. Everything that I do, all that I've wanted to do for a very long time is just to be a leader of some description. 
um, purely because of this innate drive to help other people. Um, second of all, because because my experiences and sort of like my personality lend, lend themselves very heavily to being inside leadership positions. The, the things that I do at Asperger's Victoria is I uh, usually when we have a night with the teens, it happens once a month. The parents that come along will usually split off into their group and speak about things that are relevant to them. And the teens will split off with me and they'll speak about things that are relevant to them. Mm. So um, pragmatism and, and logic and, and so on, is so they're important parts of leadership. Um, what else do you think is important? Well, especially for sort of like the autistic mm-hmm. minds, knowing like uh, when you're inside a leadership position, what essentially it comes down to is making decisions. There are going to be decisions that are inherently going to affect other people because those other people are your responsibility. But... You have to be comfortable knowing the decision that you make might be wrong at some point in the future. And that's when people sort of shy off leadership. They don't want to make the wrong decision, but it might have been correct at the when when you're presented, when you make a, when you're inside leadership, you get presented with any sort of decision with a shitload of information. And you have to make a decision from that and those decisions are going to affect other people. If some other information comes out that completely invalidates your decision, you can't be hung up on that. You just say, well, I made the decision at the time because it was correct inside my head. And at that point of time, yes, the information in, you knew. Inside that context, it was the correct decision. I can't go back in time and change that. Um, people might be very critical, especially those below you might be very critical of that decision at that point in time. But... They will respect you for having to make that decision at that point. There, uh, what's it called? You sort of like have these deadlines inside your head of when these decisions have to be made. You, again, uh, what's it called? Uh, you, you would know. You would know about that as well, Julia, wouldn't you? Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess everyone with some kind of role has to make difficult decisions. Yes. Uh, <laughs> It's also the fact that knowing your role is incredibly, incredibly important. Um, when I got out of the Army Cadet Corps, I realised that everything else inside society generally sort of operates under the same sort of guise. You have sort of like your management positions, which are just above your privates, which are sort of like your sergeants. They go, tell, they go around and enforce the general policy of McDonald's or Safeway, whatever, wherever you might find yourself working. But what we have to get into our heads is that there are different spheres of leadership and they all have their own distinct characteristics. You can have civilian leadership, which is um, sort of like political parties, volunteer organisations, this radio station. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, You can have military organisations, which are very incredibly hierarchical. Um, mm. um, and you can have corporate leaderships, which are very hierarchical, but instead of having one person at the top, it has a board of directors that need to come to consensus. Mm. Um, within volunteer organizations, usually consensus is either formed at the bottom or the middle and then is enforced upwards mm-hmm. because inherently everybody's there of their own free will if they leave because some somebody made a decision at the top that they didn't like. And 
well, the, the voluntary, the organisation will cease to exist. That being said, inside your everyday sort of like existence, uh, there are plenty of opportunities to train yourself inside this kind of leadership. Um, what are some of your main advice for, for young people on the spectrum who want to, um, you know, become leaders, um, you know, in, in whatever field they're interested in? Well, you have to realise that, as I said, don't get hung up on bad decisions. Don't get hung up on criticism. Also, the, the people that you're, or what's called, you're responsible for might criticise you almost out of hand, but if they're not willing to step up and take your lead, the position that you have, then, uh, what's it called, the criticism loses some of its sort of sting. Also, you, what you have to realise is that in every, like, and I know that I'm speaking to a very select audience there, but if you're autistic and you do have, if you're born like me and you do have this inherent, just absolute and utter need to be a leader, you have to realise that there are sort of like everyday events that happen, everyday opportunities. For example, if, and I realised this the other day, um, if you're playing I don't know. If you're playing video games and you're playing something like World of Warcraft or League of Legends and you queue up for a match, there's no there's no role that immediately says leader on the top of it. Inside League of Legends, you have you have your jungle, you have your top, you have two bottoms and you have oh, what's it called? And a mid lane. I didn't describe a leader inside the inside that bracket. You can step up and say, and just type inside the chat, okay, everybody, this is what we're doing, and this is how we're doing it, and you might get some vitriol back, but it's very, very helpful within those situations to have know, an idea. Yeah, have an idea inside your head of um, what kind of situations that you, that you can ex- express leadership and have this concept of what leader you want to be inside your head. But the main thing is to sort of step up and take up that leadership position because, as I said, that, leader pos- that leadership position at the start of the game is, is, is vacant. Nobody has leaders stamped on their forehead. Um, <laughs> it's, it's kind of, you have to kind of say, hey, guys, let's do this. Yes, you have to, again, this is not inherently for your benefit. This is for the people, for everyone below you. Um, what about egos and leadership? I mean, a lot of people see leadership as a somewhat egotistical thing. Again, as I said, my my need my need to become a leader is is almost inherently altruistic. I can't. It's almost like I can't do anything for myself, um, or purely for myself. I'll just sit there and hate it because I'm. I, for me, I'm not doing anything. Um, I'm just sitting there minding my own business, which is not something. It's not particularly something interesting. Yeah, it's not something particularly interesting to me. The, what's it called? That being said, you can get a problem with the egos. What I would do inside that sort of situation is, this is where empathy comes in. Comes in, but those who know on the autistic spectrum, there's sort of like this inherent hole where empathy was supposed to be in there's some sort of well, smoky some, layer. Well, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of people contest that idea, say that people have empathy in a different way or show empathy different to people who aren't on the spectrum. Well, as I said, well, the thing that I made was a simulated empathy, where empathy comes naturally to somebody like a neurotypical, where they're thinking, oh, what's it called? They don't need to think about it. Um, I do. 
I sit there and I think, how will this affect uh, my cadets, the teens group, or anybody else that I'm responsible for? And it immediately puts me inside my shoes, inside their shoes. Uh, how you temper your ego is inherently a part of how you lead. How you go uh, go about tempering that ego is that you need to th- you need to think of who you're responsible for, and you need to think from their perspective on how your decisions will affect them. Um, if with all power comes corruption, but and it, that that doesn't mean it needs to inherently affect you. All you need to do is, is think, oh, what's it called, about your decisions. I am not the person that is getting the most benefit out of this, and I am content with that. Awesome. Well, we're going to end it at here. Uh, thank you so much for speaking to us, Callan. You're on Great Minds Don't Think Alike on Sin. Mm. With Amaret. And Daniel. And uh, we're going to talk a bit more about like the wider social acceptance. So... This, we're moving on from that sort of one-on-one friendship sort of stuff. We've been talking about accommodating people who have autism at wider events. So, you know, lots of people, there's autistic conferences and stuff like that that heaps of people go to all the time, and they're always fully catered for. So, you know, you've got quiet spaces and other ways that you can, you know, if you're feeling s- stressed and overloaded, you can go to that place and you can relax and you can take a time out for yourself. And, you know, there's so many other ways that this needs to be happening you know mm. that you know you go to a you know for instance a theme park or something like that and it's just not accommodating and it's not accommodating really for anyone with any sort of disability no not at all no i, I mean I, I know exactly what you, what you mean that's uh, not not just with schools but yeah I think not everyone's th- people need to uh, people need to People need to acknowledge the fact that that of course things do need to be accommodated, especially when it comes to people of a of a particular group. Not to separate not to separate the groups, but a lot of a lot of people on the spectrum do actually need downtime, time to themselves. Exactly. More so than more so than most the most other people. Yeah. That's right. And I was talking to you earlier outside the show. Um, and while I was talking about last year, I heard I had a couple of friends um, on another show on Sin Raise the Platform, which is a broader disability show. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a couple of friends on there who are autistic, and they went to a big day out at Luna Park. Mm-hmm. And it was a day that people on the spectrum and their families could go and have a really fun time. And they were accommodating of all those things that people with autism might need on that day. You know, going to a theme park, that's a lot of people around, a lot of crowding. And a lot of noise. Exactly, bright lights and all that sort of stuff going on. Um, And it made me think, well, this is great that you're having this day. Why can't you have it every day? Like, I'm not saying, obviously, exclude Mm. everyone else, which is what they had done. They closed Mm. the park specifically for this event. I mean, if you want to integrate these things, then you can do that almost every day of the year. Mm. Or Why just, does it just have to be that one day? Or just make it regular. Well, not not every day of the year, but just make it make it a regular thing, like maybe once a week. That's or something right. Like that. And I was even speaking a, a couple of years ago, um, me and my sister, she has cerebral palsy, and we were talking about particularly, we really wanted to go to like um, 
pardon me, um, wanted to go to Movie World and Sea World and um, all those sort of ones up in Queensland. And they had introduced at a couple of these theme parks that you had to fill out forms about your disability and then they would be able to tell you what rides were suitable for you. And it brought up this whole concern that what if they dictate to me what I can and cannot do? And when does it become a thing that when you know your own limits, suddenly someone else has to tell you how to run Mm. your life? And they're not going to do that to anyone else. Of course, you have height restrictions and you have age restrictions for certain things Mm. at theme parks. Why should there be a disability restriction? You should be the person who knows where Mm. you're coming from and what your disability is and how that affects you and therefore what you can and cannot do in that situation or even things that you might you might just not want to try them um Mm. and this is a broader thing about social acceptance and people understanding again um what disability is and again that disconnect that seems Mm. to happen between the wider able-bodied community and the disabled community yeah and although this isn't this this may not be a disability per se, I'm going to recall a time the last time I went to the dentist, I was having a filling, which I've I've had several of those actually. But I, I they had to put something in my ma- in my mouth which I had to bite down on. Mm-hmm. Now I have a very sensitive gag reflex, and so when I, they had to put it in my mouth and take it out several times, because each time they put it in my mouth, I almost found my, found myself wanting to throw up. Exactly, and so, that's really common. Like, my sister has the exact same thing, and she has to go to a specific dentist every time because that person knows how to accommodate her and that mm. reflex. And, you know, the amount of times people are like, oh, we just want to take an X-ray of your mouth. And she's like, you can't shove that in my throat, though. Like, that's not going to vomit over your really expensive equipment. You exactly. shouldn't be trying this. Um, and it's these little things that people don't necessarily think about. Um to do with disability those Mm. little sensitivities and I was Mm. even um, I have a friend who has cerebral palsy again and uh, there's a thing this startle reflex Um, and she wants to go get a tattoo Mm -hmm. and she managed to get the tattoo just fine but her skin and her muscles involuntarily were sort of jumping and twitching almost Ah. while she was getting this tattoo done and it wasn't hurting her she's like oh it's just like a bad sunburn but Mm. I can't stop the reaction I can't tell my muscle to just calm itself because that doesn't Mm. work for me and it's little things like this you know everyday things that uh, a Mm. person could go out and do for themselves Mm. um that the community doesn't understand and the guy was so good about it and was really helpful mm. and he accommodated for the fact that her you know her muscles were twitching under her skin and he said you know I get it you can't control this mm-hmm. and I'm gonna make sure that we can still get this writing to look really great and mm. her tattoo does look really great mm. well I, even this can relate to foods actually because I mean I don't, I don't eat seed food very much one I don't really like the taste but I think even if I did like the way it tastes it tasted I don't think I would eat seafood because it's got a very slimy texture that rubs me the wrong mm-hmm. way. Like texture, texture I find affects me worse than, than how it tastes at times. Yeah. Like I can eat lollies that I don't really like the taste of if the texture's nice. Yeah, and restaurants, like again, this is mm. another big thing. You know, someone might need something cut up or they don't like certain things. Like I don't like my food always touching. I'm a bit weird like that mm. and I don't like it. Um, and it used to really annoy my parents because they would have like, I don't know, a roast or something and I'd want all my vegetables separate and I'd want, um, you know, meats or whatever we had off to the side. And... 
I've always been that way. I, I want to put my own gravy on my food. I want to put my own salt and pepper on my food. And again, this is where restaurants, it can be really hard to go out and do these things because they're not necessarily understanding of what you want to do. And it's easy for me to get around that and having that little, you know, mm. thing. But for someone who may have like a physical disability or have mm. uh, the preference they don't want certain coloured foods even on their plate, uh, restaurants really don't uh, accommodate well when mm. you say, "Can you just leave the uh, coriander out of my sauce?" Like it's like, well, mm. it's a it's a sauce with coriander in it, and it's pre-prepared mm. and all that sort of stuff. You know, those mm. sort of ideas of things, or you know, I need my fish mm. and chips cut up, please. <laughs> and they're like, uh, "Okay, then, right." Um, and again, this mm. is another social, a wider social acceptance in the mm. community coming to an understanding. And some places are so great. I'm not saying they're all awful. Mm. Some are amazing and fantastic. And, you know, they'll move all the chairs out of your way if you need more space. And mm-hmm. they're, you know, they're like, what, what else can we do? Anything you need, you tell us. Mm-hmm. But then there's just the basic ones that don't even have straws, you know, if you need a straw in your drink and suddenly oh, they don't have God. that. Mm. How hard can it be to buy a packet of straws? Like? I know. I know. Mm. Uh, d- uh, funny, that just you, you talking about that. That reminded me of of an ad. I don't even remember what it was for, but I remember there was a kid who hated absolutely everything that was green. Like he wouldn't eat anything yeah. that was green, or he wouldn't he wouldn't play with something that that was green simply because it was green. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there's these things that aren't always thought of and mm. even I know like when you go to say um, you know you go to the pediatrician mm. uh, as a kid and it's always really hard they always have toys and stuff there mm-hmm. and all you want to do is like relax but if you have a thing where you can't exactly you can't play with that coloured object or you know it's, there's a certain pattern that really freaks you out how then that's going to raise your stress level and mm. not be accommodating and obviously there's things that you can't they mm. can't just Paint. Not every wall can be, you know, cream mm. or not have a pattern on it, and every mm. toy can't be, you know, white. And you know, we, there's things that we just can't get around as a society that just they need mm. to be as they are. Um, but there are always things that can be changed and mm. altered that will make that person more comfortable. Mm. And it's those things that we need to think about, mm. and that um, that people need to start thinking out of the box when it comes to mm. how they can help that person into their facility. I will mention that sometimes being being on being an outsider to that sometimes it can be a little irritating when all these things have to be very particular to accommodate someone it it, it is irritating but it has but like again it has to be done mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. exactly but i can I can see why why people do get annoyed when when they're just thinking, "Oh my God, what is with this person? Why does it have to be so particular but but it it still has to be done and so yeah, I guess what I'm saying is I can understand. Why it might annoy people, but it it's even worse for the person. Exactly, like the, that's the thing. Like, it's mm. also that whole idea of I was just thinking then about that whole animal thing, like that, like the mm. you know the bug or the spider or whatever is probably more scared of you than mm. you are of it, and that's what we need. We need to stop that sort of idea mm. that um, a autistic person is a scary thing. It, mm. They're not. They're they're mm. different to you, you need to just get over it and then you need to link with that person and understand what you can do better for them. And mm. th- people will tell you what they need mm. and where they're coming from. Then They're not scared to say that and you, because they want to be able to access whatever it is that you're trying to provide. 
Though, mind you, I can't help but be scared by spiders. I know, me neither, me neither. They're, they're scary, they're scary. Thank you very much for listening. We are mm. coming up to the end of our show today. Any final comments you would like to share, Dan? Not that I can think of off the top of my head. I so. think I've, I think we've got it down. Social yep. acceptance, it's a big topic, but yes. there's a lot of things we need to work around with it. But we're going to get there as a society. Great minds reaching out hmm. and letting you guys all know about the fabulousness up in here. That hopefully helps yep. a little bit. <laughs> Just, yep, social acceptance, give it time. That's all I can say. Exactly. Thank you again. We'll catch you next week.